0: I have the privilege this morning of reading the scripture. We're still in Hebrews, we're chapter 12. We're going to be doing verses 3 through 11. We're going to drop down to 18 through 24, and then 28 and 29. Consider him who endured from sinners such, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is uh, for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his fathers does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all of the uh, participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all Discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may The hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion... And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to in- be numbered angels in f- festival gar- gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the med- mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer a good, acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire.
1: Thank you, Philip. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance uh, to be in worship today. God, I thank you for uh, your word, the power it has uh, to strengthen us, to motivate us, to encourage us. And even more than that, God, it has the power to bring dead hearts to life. So God, we thank you for the power that we see uh, in your word. And we pray that the same spirit, the same power who raised Christ from the dead would be alive and at work in us uh, even now as we speak, as we worship uh, as we gather together, bless this time we share in Christ's name, amen. amen. You know, I've, uh, I've never met anybody who enjoys getting in trouble. Have you? I've never met somebody who, who is uh, celebrating at the moment that they are in trouble, maybe down the road, uh, but being disciplined is not fun. No matter what age you are, if you uh, have been disciplined, whether you're young or old, uh, being disciplined is usually not fun. And even though we all uh, don't like it, we still respond to discipline in different ways. And you see this pronounced, of course, with kids uh, because everything they do is, you know, there's no filter. And so we, you see the different ways kids react when they are disciplined. So if, you know, a kid is messed up and, and you take away a privilege like TV time or candy or, or something else, uh, you see so, so a variety of different responses. You know, of course, there's just the total... Temper tantrum, the screaming, yelling, crying, just losing it, just all out mad because you've corrected them and done something, told them they can't do something they want to do. Uh, There's another kind of the opposite side of that is the, the quiet, boiling mad, but it's all on the inside. But inside, you can see in their eyes that they are just raging and they're just looking at you like you're just the worst ever, you know. Uh, there's the, the, the kind of the logical argument, argumentative side, you know, the, the this is why I had to hit my sister and this is why things are the way they are. And, and they come at it just trying to argue, argue, argue their way out of something. Uh, sometimes it's just the complaining, the whining the it's not fair and grumbling and just, you know, whining side. Uh, sometimes it's the shifting blame, right? It's kind of like the argument side, but, but it's, I, I only did this because, you know, he did it first or she did it first or, or this is, it's, it's not really my fault because, and, and they shift the blame onto somebody else. And then every now and then, and by that I mean almost never, but every now and then you get a kid who at least at some point will say, you're right, I was wrong, I'm sorry. You know, true repentance, truly saying, uh, I, I'm owning up to this and I've messed up. We, we see that in kids because, you know, they don't have a filter and that kind of comes out. Uh, but the more I watch kids respond to discipline, I realize uh, we as adults basically still do the same thing. <laughs> we just have got some filters in place so that it's not quite as obvious. Our temper tantrums uh, are usually not uh, in public spaces. <laughs> we keep keep that for at home later on. Maybe it is public sometimes, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but we try to find ways to hide that. But uh, we, we have the same type of reactions. We, we, we boil with anger inside. We, we quickly... Uh, run through the logic of why it's not my fault or shift the blame to somebody else or, or complain and grumble and whine. And rarely, if ever, are we willing to say, no, really, I messed up. This is my fault and I deserve the punishment I'm getting. I'm de- deserving the discipline I'm receiving. Nobody likes discipline. We, we don't like being disciplined. We don't like being told that what we were doing and something we did was wrong and we need to change actions. Which is why it might come as a surprise to us to read in the Bible that the Lord disciplines us, because that doesn't sound very fun. That does not sound enjoyable. Hebrews twelve five says, "Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord. The Lord the Lord disciplines us." To many people, that would sound that sounds horrible. That sounds just miserable. And maybe it's coming from a place of some pretty bad experiences with discipline. Maybe you've been through a time where discipline was was taken out on you in a very unhealthy way, and so thinking about the God about God doing that has has, has got you, you know, uh, in a very bad place. Uh, or maybe the idea of God disciplining you just seems contradictory. Like you know you think, hey, doesn't somewhere in the Bible it say God is love? Yeah, that's First John four eight. So you think how could how could God uh, love me and yet do something that that is makes it hard, something something painful? Discipline is is not enjoyable. Why, how could God do that how could God be loving and yet discipline me at the same time basically this whole chapter in Hebrews 12 is laying out for us the discipline of God and why that is in fact loving and what we miss when we reject the the discipline of God is we miss God's very character his very nature we misunderstand who he is if we think that he cannot or should not discipline us The reality is that God does discipline us probably more than we know. And if we don't understand God's discipline, if we don't see why He would do this, not that we're going to fully comprehend it, but if we don't don't grasp why the Bible tells us this, this is a good thing, then we're much more likely to just keep throwing temper tantrums than to respond in repentance and in holiness and in grace. If we see God for who He is, if we see His character, if we see His nature, then we would understand why He wants to treat us this way. If we don't see the big picture of what He's up to, when we face hard times, it can be easy just to say, I'm, I'm out of here. This is no longer what I thought I signed up for in the Christian walk. If we go through a hard season that doesn't seem to match up with the character of God, then we say, I'm going to reject God. But if we come to the Bible to see who God, who God really is, to see God on His own terms, then even the hard times, we can trust that God is at work for our good. If we see the big picture in our trials, then it makes a little bit more sense. Not fully, because we're not God, we're not going to get everything. But if we can understand part of it, what He might be up to, we're much more likely to embrace it. Maybe, just maybe, we could even embrace discipline as being for our good. All, All of Hebrews, as we've been going through this fall, is about how Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so today when we call this call in Hebrews chapter 12 to persevere even through discipline... is is getting to the pinnacle here uh, of that faith, to trust that really Jesus is better even through really hard discipline. You have to genuinely, deeply believe that Jesus is better if you're going to cling to Jesus even when Jesus is making life hard. That's going to test us to see if we really believe Jesus is better. Chapter 12 starts with this this section on discipline and then goes in God's character. But I'm going to flip that. I'm going to take the second half of the chapter first because I really want to front to you what what God is like. According to Hebrews 12 and all the Bible, who, who really is our God? What is He like? And if we know that, then we'll be willing to receive how He interacts with us. So this is what Hebrews 12 tells us about God. We are coming to a holy, loving God. The God we approach, when we come to God, we are coming to a holy, loving God. 18 to 24, the verses there give us a picture of what it's like to approach God. And, and the best way I know to summarize that, are those, those words, holy and loving. And if you're a Christian, that's, that's exactly what we're doing. We're coming to Him. We're approaching Him in His holiness and in His love. Now, we probably don't naturally have a category that puts those things together. Naturally, apart from God's word, apart from being shaped by God's word, those are probably separate ideas in our mind, holy and loving. And yet God, in His perfect, perfect way, puts them together. God is the one being in the universe who is perfectly holy and fully loving and can hold those together. God's love is holy and His holiness is loving. I'll say it one more time. His His love is holy, and his holiness is loving. We can see that for ourselves in this, uh, the, the way it describes God here. In verse 18, he starts talking about, he paints this vivid picture of this moment back in the Old Testament. I'll read 18 to 21 for you again. It says, A blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the heavens. Hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is a reference back to the book of Exodus when Moses and the people of Israel approached God on Mount Sinai. And if you know that story, God had just delivered them out from Egypt through the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea, crossing through the desert and coming to the, to, to the mountain to worship Him. And when, when they get there, God's presence descends on the mountain in such a powerful way that the ground itself is shaking. There is a cloud, there is lightning, there is thunder. It is a terrifying sight because God is so holy that we can't just walk into His presence and just prance in there and say, uh, do, what I, do what I want you to do, God. No, God gave them this revelation of seeing him as he is. And it was, it was awe-inspiring. Now that, that category is a little bit confusing to us. We think lightning thunder is evil. No, this is just power and majesty on display. And it was so overwhelming that people were terrified by it. Not because God is evil, but because God is holy. And they weren't, they weren't afraid because he was going to do something bad to them, but they were afraid because he's so majestic. When we see, when we can truly see the holiness of God, it, it reminds us, it tells us who we are, that we are not holy. Time and time again in the Bible, when somebody encounters God or an angel, they, they are they're reminded, they feel their own uncleanliness. They feel their own sin, our own unholiness. And so it was for Moses and the whole nation of Israel, standing before that mountain as it shook, they recognized how sinful we are. It's easy to kind of go through our lives, and just because this building's not shaking and there's no... You know, lightning overhead of us right now, it's easy to go through life forgetting about the holiness of God. But the Bible warns us to be careful in that, to continue to remind ourselves, (coughs) excuse me, continue to remind ourselves in God's Word of who He is and what His character is like. He is holy beyond measure, and we aren't. We aren't. And that's especially important because God's coming back. Verse 25 starts this way, it says, for if they they did not, speaking of the Old Testament people, they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on this earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. At that time His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So this is reminding us that Christ is coming back. And when He comes back, everything's going to be shaken up in the sense that He is going to judge the world. Now it's a good thing because He's going to make everything right and holy once again, But for all those who don't know Him, it is a terrifying thing. God's holiness is a very important reality we have to deal with. This chapter ends with a very short and powerful verse, 1229. For our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. When you describe God, when you think of God, does that come to your mind? Our God is a consuming fire. He is perfectly holy. We cannot go through life pretending like we can treat God however we want, and that He's going to always come to us and do what, do what we want Him to do. He is holy and righteous. And our response should be reverence and awe before Him. He is holy. And at the exact same time, and completely uh, filling Him just as much as holiness is, He is also loving. He is holy and He is loving. You see that right in the, the way He, the fact that He even comes down to the mountain. The fact that He saved His people. The fact that He, he revealed Himself to Moses and the people of Israel. That is loving. He didn't have to do that. That was gracious of him. It's loving of him to tell us what he is like. It's loving of him to return and to come back to make all things right again. And in verse 27, uh, it says that when uh, talking about the, the new heaven and new earth, it's not gonna be shaken. And so this picture here of him coming back, it's gonna be good. And we see that even clearer when he contrasts it with this other mountain. Verse 22, "...but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem." This is a picture of our eternal home, of heaven itself. Mount Zion is the name of the the mountain where the city of Jerusalem is built. But this is not talking about an earthly city. It says the heavenly Jerusalem. This is going to be the place where we get to dwell with God forever. We are invited into His presence. It talks about these, uh, these angels that, have these, uh, that, are, that are celebrating. They talk about uh, all the believers who are there, that God has made perfect and dwelling in a place that is unshakable. How, how is that possible? How is it that, that previously in the Old Testament there was this mountain and nobody could touch it, and now not only are people there touching it, but they're, they're rejoicing, they're celebrating, they're, they're with Him? The answer comes in verse 24, the theme that's been all the way through the book of Hebrews. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood. We come to that mountain. We come into the presence of God not because we earned it and not because God isn't holy. He is. He is perfectly holy and so holy that the only way we could get there is if the Son of God was killed in our place. And what makes that in- incredibly gracious is that God the Father is the one who gave that sacrifice for us. He is holy. His his holiness is satisfied because sin has been paid for. And he is loving because he's the one that made the sacrifice. He paid it for us. That is what he's done. He is perfectly holy and perfectly loving. That's the God we are coming to. Perfectly righteous and perfectly gracious. That's his nature. That's who God is at his core. That's the God we know. That's the God we read about in the Bible. That's the God who walks with us day by day. And it can be easy to kind of lean one way or the other in our lives, saying, oh, God, I only think of God as love or I only think of God as wrathful. No, this is who God is together. And we see that supremely through Christ on the cross. And if we know that's who God is, holy and loving, then that helps us understand why He would treat us the way He does. You see, His discipline is His holy love. God's discipline is His holy love. Love. Verse 6 quotes Proverbs three twelve saying, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. Do, do you really believe that about God? Do you really believe that if He loves you, He will discipline you? It, it, it makes sense that because God is holy and, and we are not, that He would, would want to correct us and make us more holy. So, so maybe we could follow if it said, God is holy, so He disciplines us. But, but can you also take God as love, so He disciplines us? Can both of those things be true? Can you hold both of those together? God is holy, so He disciplines us. God is love, so He disciplines us. God the Father, our loving, perfectly perfect Heavenly Father, He disciplines the ones that He loves. Now, now that may be a little bit hard when we think about God, but if you're a parent, you know this to be true. You absolutely know this to be true, that you love your kids enough to discipline them. If your kids are playing beside a busy road and they're hopping in and out of the street, you, you, you would be unloving. You'd be an unfit parent if you just sat back and said, yeah, you know, do what you want. You, you enjoy it, right? No, we, we as a parent, whoa, 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 we go and pick them up and take them to somewhere else that's safe that they can play, even if they throw the biggest temper tantrum ever and they scream and they cry and say, if you love me, you will let me play right here. And you say, no, 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 because I love you, I'm moving you to play here. Discipline is not the opposite of love. Discipline is a form of love. And it's a very important form of love. And we know that for our kids. Can we accept that when it's from God to us? It's one thing to be the one that gives out discipline. Some people enjoy that. We find that hard. It's it's hard sometimes. But it's good. It's a whole other thing, right, to be the one that receives discipline. That takes a lot more humility. If God disciplines us, can we have the eyes of faith to see That it truly is loving. It might not feel loving, but with eyes of faith, can we trust that it truly is loving from God? I wonder if you have seen God's discipline, God's grace as it moves you in life to becoming more and more mature. Are you more patient than you were five years ago, ten years ago? Do you know God's word better? Do you, do you, have you rejected a, a lifestyle that you once lived in? Do you, did you break an addiction? Has God been, been moving in you in your life? And did it take some hard things to get you from where you were to where you are? That is the grace of God. That is the love of God that he would shape you that way. God's discipline is his holy love. Praise God that he loves us enough to discipline us. Praise God that he's willing to do that. In our lives. One of the most significant questions I can think of to ask about this is when does God discipline us? Like, if we're looking at something in our lives that's hard right now or previously, and we ask, was that the discipline of God? Is that what's going on right now? Is it the discipline of God? Like, does God get the credit for it, so to speak? Does God take responsibility for being the one who leads us through something hard that may hurt? but for our good and makes us more holy. When is it God's discipline and when is it not? Uh, of everything about God's discipline in this passage, that, that's the question I want to make sure you can answer from the passage. Not, not because of me, but because of the passage. And I think this is so, so important. Sometimes God disciplines us when we do bad things, right? So far, that's kind of how I've been using the word discipline because that's what we think of. When we do things that are contrary to His revealed will, God disciplines us to get us back on track. Sometimes. And interestingly, I didn't point this out when it happened, but last week at the men's event, both Anthony Mabry and Alex Cook in conversation both quoted this verse that God disciplines the one He loves. When, we, when our lives get off track, He disciplines us. He brings us back on track. And so God can so order our steps when we're doing something that's wrong, when we're doing something bad, to, to make life hard so that we, we go, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And we turn away from our sin. Now, that's not the only way God deals with us in our sin. Praise God, because we'd spend our entire life in time out, essentially, right? Sometimes He deals with our sin a very different way. Romans 2, 4, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Sometimes when we are in the middle of sin, God shows you extra measures of grace so that you see how great He is and say, Why in the world would I be living in this mud pile when I could be enjoying the glory of God? God can do it either way. He's God. He can correct us, or he can give us grace. Either way, meant to lead us to repentance. But what's going on here is actually something even greater. This is incredible. So uh, let me show you about how it works in this passage. Verse four it says, "In your struggle against sin," and then it goes on to talk about discipline. So if you just start at verse four, you might think, "Hey, these people are are fighting against sin. They're struggling to get rid of sin in their life, and God helps them." Get rid of sin in their own hearts by bringing them through discipline. That that's a that would be one way to read this. But if you read a little closer, you realize something else is going on. Back up just one verse. That's why I got Philip to start in verse three for us. It says, "Consider him," talking about Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And then in verse four, it says, "In your struggle against sin." So two verses back to back. Jesus struggled against sin. You're struggling against sin. The sin has to be the same thing. And Jesus never sinned. What's the sin he struggled against? The sin he struggled against is other people's sin trying to kill him. They were persecuting him. And so these people that are receiving this letter, that's the same sin they're struggling against. So follow me there. He's saying that the way that God is disciplining them is he is persecuting them. He is is allowing other people who are evil to persecute the people who are receiving this letter, and God calls that discipline. If you let that sink in for a minute, that's a category we don't, we don't let that, we don't have that category in our minds so many times. God himself, in his incredible sovereignty, has ordained for the people who are receiving this letter that God is going to discipline them by the sin of other people. And yet God is perfectly holy. He's not, his, he's not the one responsible for, he's not the one culpable for their sin. It's their sin, and yet God has meant it for good. At the end of Joseph's life, Joseph looks at his brothers who cast him into a pit, We're going to kill him, sold him into slavery, and and Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That's what's going on here in Hebrews. The people around these Christians are persecuting them, and they mean it for evil. And yet God is so powerful that He can use even their evil to work His purposes for His good. That's what's going on in this, this kind of discipline. God's using the sin of other people that's making their life hard and he's bringing discipline in these Christians' life. That's what happens when God's at work. Your life is hard. He's telling them, you're, you're, these guys are receiving this letter. Your life is hard. You're facing persecution. So don't belittle the discipline of the Lord. That is discipline from God. Receive it from him as grace. That's why verse four, he says, in your struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. They haven't become martyrs yet for their persecu- in their persecution, but they have suffered and suffered greatly. And God calls that discipline. God disciplines us both by responding to our sin and by using really hard circumstances in life to push us to grow in holiness. He does both things, and both things are called discipline. And if we back up and think about the other areas of life, we know this to be true. In, in sports, every team that has any kind of endurance aspect to it, even baseball, you run for conditioning, right? If a team is going to be a good team, they need to be in good shape. So I played baseball in high school, and the way the rules were at the time, I guess, we could work out in the gym in the fall, but come 1st of January, when we got back, that's when outdoor, you know, we could run, we can condition outside. And one of my coach's favorite forms of conditioning, we call, he called them triangles. They stood on home plate. He ran whatever it was, 275 feet to the right field foul pole. He ran all the way across outfield to the left field foul pole and back to home plate. And I think he had 70 seconds to do it. Right? So you do that, you get a minute or two break, and you do it again. That was conditioning. We didn't do anything wrong. We just were running to be in better shape. Well, one day I, I got in trouble with the coach. And you know what I did? I did triangles. I stood at home plate. All by myself, ran all the way to the right field foul pole, across, across outfield, left field foul pole, back to home plate. My experience was exactly the same. One time I was in trouble, one time I was just getting stronger, just doing conditioning. Both of those are disciplined, aren't they? Both of those are disciplined, and God can do both. God can do both. And sometimes from the outside, it can look exactly the same. If you were in the stands, and you didn't see the coach wagging his finger at me you know, beforehand, you just saw me running, you, it would look exactly the same. One time I was in trouble. One time I wasn't. I was just on the team. And I was trying to get stronger. Sometimes that's how God treats us. When we look at the hard things in our life, here's why this is important. When you look at the hard things in your life and you want to ask, is this discipline? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It may be because of sin, or it may be just that God's making you stronger. Discipline is not... Because it says, because God disciplines you, it doesn't mean you sinned to cause it. It could be, and it's worth stopping and saying, did I mess up? Did I put myself in this situation? But either way, one of the things God is doing is He's making you stronger, and He's making you more holy. We can look at the hard things that we're facing in life or with, through, through other times and say, yes, this is God's discipline. He wants to make me more holy, and He's bringing it to through me through this for his purposes. The Bible, in the Bible, discipline isn't just for sin, just like running for sports teams isn't just for messing up. It's conditioning, and it's making us better. Last week was when we saw that verse, Hebrews twelve two about running the race, or 12, 1, running the race set before us. So here in verse 11, he uses that same image. Talk about those who have been training, trained by it. Or for training is a word for athletic training. So discipline isn't just punishment. It is training. We would say somebody who, who has a, a really healthy diet, uh, who does a good job of going to bed and getting up at a good time, who has a regular workout schedule, who is, is doing things that, that helps their body, we would say that person has self-discipline. They are disciplined. They, they didn't sin. They are disciplined. And that's what God is at work so many times doing in our lives. Sharing in God's holiness is what He he's wants us to do. As He disciplines us, He's asking us and pushing us to grow to be more like His Son. To be more disciplined. And the reason why that's love is that's the very best thing for us. Do, do you believe that? Do you believe that being holy is the most loving thing God could desire for you? To make you more like His Son. Verse 11, it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love that. The fruit of righteousness, that is uh, holiness, Christ likeness that bears spiritual fruit. That's what comes through our discipline. And he calls it peaceful fruit. I love that phrase. Don't we all desire peace in life? Isn't that what we're all searching for? Aren't we all desiring that that like collective and spiritual and deep sense of, uh, you know what I mean? That's what we long for. We long for peace. Do, Do you know where peace comes from? I'll tell you where it doesn't come from. It doesn't come from having so much money in your bank account you don't have to worry about anything you know, to pay for the rest of the year. Although that'd be nice, right? But it does not supply your peace. Having a house on the lake and the beach and in the suburbs and in the city, having four or five homes, that is not the source of peace. Although it'd be nice, right? But it will not give you what you're looking for. It will not give you what you need. True peace comes from knowing God. True peace comes from living in relationship with him that's what we ask for that's what we plead for and that's what comes as god disciplines us god's discipline is his holy love we read in verse 14 that holy this holiness without which no one will see the lord the way that we enjoy a relationship with god is by running to him and being conformed to the image of his son that's how we enjoy his presence and so we plead god make make me holy if the only way we can know God is to go through hardships so that we get rid of sin and get rid of laziness and other other parts of our lives, if the only way that 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 can happen is to go through hardships, God, let it be so. Let it be so. We pray that He would do whatever it takes to make us more like His Son. Discipline, when we view it through that lens, becomes not just tolerable, but a gift. Discipline is a gift. Can, Can you have the eyes of faith to say that God's discipline is His grace? That the hardships He brings us through, if they make us more like Christ, if they help us to know God better, that discipline is a gift. We know that for our own kids. We know that as we discipline others, that this is for your good. But it is much harder many times to be the recipient of discipline so that God pushes us forward. If we have our eyes on the reward, if we have our eyes on living in a relationship with God now and for eternity, then bring whatever discipline it may. It's it's worth it. The reward makes it worth it. I read a a funny quote from uh, Tom Brady. You know, if you follow Tom Brady's, the way he does his world, he just is one of these, he's just known for being crazy disciplined. He's 40-whatever now and having an incredible season. And he's just known for pushing his body and being really careful about what he eats and all his workouts. Well, they did one of these celebrity golf tournaments where, you know, Tom Brady plays with Phil Mickelson or somebody. And and they had... um, you know, this celebrity thing, and, and, and Charles Barkley uh, caught him uh, before, the, before the, the match, was out in the parking lot. It was pouring rain, and he's out there. Tom Brady's out there doing this, like, really intense stretching warm-up routine. He's all out in the rain all by himself, and Charles Barkley is like, what are you doing? I think he didn't say that, but essentially he said, what are you doing? And Tom, Tom Brady said, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. I love that. He's, on a, he's, a, he's stretching in the rain before a golf match. And his entire life, even that, is focused on a Super Bowl. And I tell you, there's a much higher prize here to go for. But I love the focus. I love the focus. If you and I, the reward before us is, is enjoying a relationship with God, but, what, what are you doing here, man? What, what's going on? I, I'm enjoying God. I'm seeking God. I want to be with God forever. That's our focus. That's our desire. We get to enjoy a relationship with God. Sure, stretching the rain, running the rain, whatever it takes, I'll do it. I want to be careful with that illustration because you do not get into heaven because you work hard. That's not how it works. You get to heaven by grace and by grace alone. And because we've received that grace and we've experienced Christ, we want to follow him. We want our lives to be shaped, to be like Christ so we can better enjoy him. That's what God's doing with discipline. He's not earning your way to heaven. It's enjoying a relationship with him. One more part about discipline you've got to see here that I think is just so so comforting The holy love of discipline can be a tremendous comfort to you. Tremendous comfort to you. And here's what I mean. How how could discipline be comfortable? Well, in verse 5, he says, My son, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And again in verse 7, It is for discipline that you have had to endure. God is treating you as sons. As sons. Receiving discipline from the Lord is evidence that you are his child. So that is a comfort. That is grace. Listen, it'd be far worse off if God just let you peacefully go through life, sailing smoothly to an eternity separated from Him. That would be awful. We'd much rather be going through the ups and downs of life as God is shaping us and molding us, chiseling away at our heart, making us like His Son so that we can enjoy a relationship with Him forever. His discipline is a gift. It's grace. Verse 8 says, If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God disciplines if your children. He doesn't discipline. He'll judge people who reject Him, but He doesn't discipline them. It's like if I, if I go to the park and my kids act up, I discipline them. I don't go over to somebody else's kids, their siblings are fighting and go discipline them. They're not my kids. I'm not in charge of disciplining them. Sometimes you want to, you know, but they're their kids. God, when He disciplines you, there's, there's a sense of saying, God, thank you that you're still paying attention to me. Thank you that you love me enough To say, hey, what you're doing is not okay. Or I I see some ways you could grow and could be pushed if if this hardship is what's next for you. So I'm going to push you through it. God, thank you that you love me enough to push me that far. God disciplines us and it can be a comfort because it's a part of his holy love. And our response to that is to persevere. Persevere in peace and in holiness. Verse 12, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthening your weak knees. The way this one's described in this chapter is it's meant to be an encouragement to you. It's meant to motivate you. It's meant to keep you up. Listen, it is incredibly motivating to know that your hardships are not meaningless. What you're going through life has, has a purpose. It has a, a, a reason. God has put it there for a reason. If, you're, if the hardships you were facing were meaningless, it'd be easy just to throw your hands up and say, I'm walking away from it. If you went through life as a Christian saying, I only think God is love and He's only going to do comfortable, easy things for me, then when hard things happen, you would just run away from God. But if you see God for who He is, He's holy and He's loving, He wants you to to make you like His Son, then in the hard things you you press in all the more. You say, God must be at work here. God must be shaping me and molding me and making me like His Son. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep persevering. Sometimes in our, in our hardships, we want to try to figure out what God's doing, and we want to figure out all the reasons, and, and many times, most of the time, we can't figure out all that God is doing. A better question to ask in our hardships is, how is God asking me to grow in holiness? How is God going to use this situation to make me more like Jesus? That's a question we can ask. That's, a, that's something we can seek from the Lord, because the hardship is discipline, and so we can begin to persevere. We can cut out the old bad. He talks about bitterness and sexual immorality and all kinds of other things like pruning a tree or like a a surgeon cuts, you know, a surgeon's cut. It does cause us to bleed, but it is for our good. We persevere seeking to cut out the old and replace it with holiness. Persevere in peace and in holiness. The only way you'll do that is if you truly trust that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than your comfort. He's better than your material success. He's better than your relationships, all going all exactly like you want Him to. He's better than anything else. Amen. And if you trust that, then when He brings you through the trial, you can say, yes, yes, Jesus, I still trust you. With eyes of faith, I still trust you. That your discipline is coming because you love me and because you're holy. And I'll trust you no matter what. The proper response then is worship. Twelve twenty-eight, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us enough to make life challenging sometimes. Father, we confess that in our left to our own desires, we just want comfort. We just want things to be easy and smooth. And yet, in your incredible wisdom and sovereignty and plan, God, you have designed something better than that, a way to shape us and mold us and make us like your son. God, I pray that we would be receptive to your discipline in a special way, maybe even this week as we consider hardships we've faced in the past or face currently. God, I pray you'd give us eyes of faith to see the ways that you're at work, and you'd mold us according to your son. Lord, bless this time that we respond to you in worship. God, may our hearts be filled with a vision of you for who you are, full of holiness and full of love. And may our hearts be so captivated that we stand in awe of who you are, not just for this final moment, but as we go through this week, worshiping you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.